0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Good well,
1: Good morning. Can everybody hear me all right? Very good. Technology is awesome when it works, right? Um, well, as many of you know, I am a high school math teacher, and tomorrow is May. And while a lot of people think May is awesome, because that means that the school year is coming to a close, don't get me wrong, I think the same thing. But May is also a very, very long month because it is SOL season. And if you've been around the state of Virginia long enough or if you have a kid that's gone through school, you understand that SOL season is high stress and just kind of terrible. Don't send this to the administrators of the county, but SOLs are just miserable. But the idea of an SOL is that at the end of the year, um, you get into this big room, you sit in front of a computer, And you basically prove to the state um, by taking a 60-question, multiple-choice, matching, click-and-drag kind of a test that you've proven that you know the standard material um, that's required of you to, let's say, get a credit in geometry or that the state believes you know enough about how to write and how to fix grammar. And I was thinking as I was preparing uh, for for this Sunday that we're getting into Christianity All-Natural, right? I was kind of thinking about it as, well, that kind of sounds like a Christianity 101, right? Could I pass the standard, the standardized test um, for Christianity? And I don't know about you, but my Christian history, I guess my Christian life has kind of been filled with some laziness on my part, um, not really digging into Scripture maybe the way I should, and um, I'm willing to accept some of the blame for that. Um, it could be as a result of You know, some faulty teaching that I had been exposed to. I don't know about you, but I, especially when I was in college, I thought, man, a sermon was awesome when I walked out of the room just feeling terrible about myself. Um, A sermon was really good when I just went back to my dorm and was like, I am pathetic, right? I thought, oh, man, he brought it hard today because I feel like garbage. For some reason, I equated that with, like, man, he's nailed it, right? Um, My hope would be that today we walk out of here feeling amazing um, as a result of Christ in us. Um, and it's kind, of, it's kind of crazy that it took me until I was like 26, 27, um, through some emails that my wife had with Walt, uh, talking over some FCA things that we kind of connected and um, kind of got in at the Grassroots of Life Journey Church. And that's when I started to realize, oh, man, it's really kind of simple if you just read it, right, and let the Holy Spirit talk to you um, and kind of pull away all the nice little cliches of our of our Christian heritage um, that have come up in the church. And I was kind of amazed at how simple, how simple the gospel really can be. Um, and it's my hope that we wouldn't leave here today feeling terrible about anything, but rather that we would be overjoyed by the truth of the good news and how it has touched our lives. Um, and I guess if we had to go pick a textbook, like let's say you had to go to the college bookstore and you had to pick out a textbook um, on Christianity 101, I think one of the required readings would have to be top of the list, the letters of Paul, right? Um, If we're not reading the letters of Paul, then I I don't think we'd pass much of a standardized test on Christianity. And his message seems to be pretty important and pretty unique. He claims that his accounts of the gospel He labels them as my gospel. So when he writes, he says, I want you to be established in my gospel, and I want you to pay attention to my gospel. And he also claims that he was revealed this mystery of grace through a revelation of Jesus Christ himself. So the disciples walked with Jesus. They got to see him firsthand in the flesh. Um, But Paul says he has had a supernatural encounter with Christ himself, where these things that were hidden in God through ages past that no man Has ever heard of before. We're given to him directly by the Son of God. That to me says, all right, let's pull out the antenna and make sure we're turning into that. And what we're going to do today, um, I was just kind of, as I was preparing thinking, man, I don't know that I need to add a lot of words here. I think I'll just kind of read from the text, right? Let's see what Paul would have to say. And just so you trust that I'm not making any of this up, here we go. This is how Paul closes his letters to the Romans. This is what he says. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Again, there's something unique about what Paul is saying here. And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. We're going to unveil what the mystery is by the end, I hope. Which has been kept secret for long ages past. To the only wise God, through Christ Jesus, be glory forever. Amen. So Paul has this thing called his gospel, this special mystery that was revealed to him that he thinks is particular and unique. This is again how he refers to his gospel as he opens up his letter to the Galatians in Galatians 1. For I would have you know, so not think about, not kind of contemplate, but I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me, specific to me, right, this is what I shared with you, is not according to man, So this didn't come from anybody else that has ever been born of the flesh. This is not according to man. For I neither received it from a man, that means nobody taught it to him. He didn't go sit in someone's living room and say, hey, teach me about Jesus, right? This didn't come from anybody else. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know, I, I, as I was preparing, I was kind of reading through all of Paul's letters over the past couple of weeks, and I'm just like, man, a living, There's something cool that this man named Paul, and if you know some of his backstory, it's even more amazing that this man named Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ himself where Jesus, the Son of God, entrusted the gospel message to this man, and he was willing to take it to the ends of the earth and to get beaten up and shipwrecked and put in jail to make sure that we, some 2,000 years later, um, would be able to benefit and reap the reward of this mystery that's been communicated to us. Now here's my question. How can we know, how can we know for sure that any of, what, any of what Paul says in his letters are true? How can we know, and I mean like know it, that we are indeed one part of his gospel message? Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. And this this like this shook me up. I, I was preparing And I was like, oh, okay, I kind of mapped out about what I want to talk about. And then I read this, and I was like, holy cow, we should maybe just change everything and start talking about this. Here's what I want you to, I mean, just like think about this for a moment. This is how we can know that what Paul is saying is true. And this is how we can know God himself. So here it is in 1 Corinthians. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? So that's kind of fancy talk, but like, do we know what that is saying, right? Um, we had a very, very heated political season where one half of the country was yelling insults and name-calling and doing terrible things to the other half, and then this half of the country was doing the same thing back. And I just, sitting here on Facebook, listening to all these comments, going like, how do you know what that person's thinking? Like, boy, you used some pretty big, terrible words on his his wall, basically slandering his name. Like, how do you know what was in his head, Right? As a high school math teacher, I have a lot of the same questions when I start grading my tests. What were you thinking? Like, I'd love to know what was in your head when you were taking this thing, right? Who can know what's in somebody's head, what's in somebody's spirit, except the spirit of the man which is in him? So even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. And I remember for a long time, um, just kind of as I was growing up thinking Man, what was God thinking? Like, for a long time, I was like, did Jesus really have to die? Like, that's the best way to save the world is to sacrifice your son. I I just had all these questions in my head of what were you thinking, right? I didn't know. There was this disconnect of what I'm thinking over here and what God is thinking over here, and it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And this literally, like, raised my blood pressure for a good reason for about five days as I was reading. Now, listen to this in verse 12. Now we have received, we've been given, We didn't have it before, but now we have it. Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. And he goes a couple verses later and says, We have the mind of Christ. That blows me away, right? We don't have to ask anymore, What's God thinking? What are you doing? Like, I don't understand. We have the mind of Christ. So if you're going to call me names, if you're going to slander me, and I can retort, well, you don't know what I'm thinking, right? Like, that's not really the case anymore with God. Like, between men, yeah, you don't know exactly what I'm thinking. I don't know exactly what you're thinking. We'll never be able to, like, reconcile that. We just have to go based on what we see in the world. But with God, we can literally know the things that he's given to us. We can know what he thinks. We can know what his will is because we have the mind of Christ. So if you're ever thinking something to yourself, well, maybe that's Christ thinking for you, in you, right? We have the mind of Christ. That's incredible to me. So what does that mean? What I would say is, as we read through these scriptures today, as we read through these passages about what do we need to know about Christianity, I would say, Let's please not walk out of the room with just reading some things and chalking some more stuff up to, um, well, okay, that sounded pretty good, and I think I might be able to remember that for a little bit, but I hope that in our spirit, the spirit that we have been given from God, that that would allow us to know for sure, deep down, everything that's about to be said. I mean, that, w- that blew me away this week. I hope, I hope it continues to blow me away day in and day out, that I have the mind of Christ now. So here we go, I guess. Question number one on Christianity 101, the standardized test at the end of the unit, right? Number one, I think it's kind of important to know, well, how do you become a Christian? Right, if you're gonna check the little box that you're a Christian on your, um, I don't even know what they're called. You don't do it on your taxes, but I guess the census or whatever, or any like, I guess on your SOL, you kind of check on the answer sheet what kind of stuff you are, I don't know, PSATs or whatever. I've seen it before. But if you're going to check Christian, well, maybe we should know how you became one. How are you allowed to check the box, right? Well, here we go. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to think back to your own conversion. Think back to the moment in time where you were born again, where you placed your faith in Jesus. This should, this should bring a smile, right? So picture that scene where you placed your faith in Jesus, where you are a blood-bought, born-again Christian. And let's see how we would answer this from Paul. This is how Paul writes to the Galatians. Paul has these things that just stick out as like, all right, listen, here's my big poster. This is the one thing I want you to know. Or this is the one thing I want to know about you. Here's one thing. Galatians 3, verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. The only thing that Paul wants to find out from the Galatians. Did you receive the Spirit? So did you receive this new birth and the Spirit of God within your heart by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So I, one of my biggest regrets in life is that I didn't have an understanding of the gospel before my Opa passed away. Um, He passed away when I was an actuary, so that would have been, geez, I don't know, what, seven, eight, nine years ago? And I always remember him talking with my Omi. So Opa and Omi, these are terms for grandma and grandpa. I just realized that you probably think I just slipped into tongues or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but he would always be talking with my Omi and he'd be talking with my parents and he would say all these things uh, like in the spirit, of the spirit, newness of life, all of these things. And as a kid, I was just like, oh, that's like some King James talk. Like I'll, I'll understand that when I get older. That's just fancy fancy Christian talk. And I, I... I now have realized because I've received this mind of Christ where now I'm understanding like, whoa, what does in the spirit mean? All of this stuff. Um, I guess my biggest regret is that I don't have the opportunity anymore being of the same mind of my grandpa to just sit down over breakfast and talk. Um, But I remember my Omi telling me about his conversion. He He was a deacon in their little country church, Um, everybody knew my Opa as one of the best guys in town, had this upright character, was just this wonderful guy, um, felt blameless to anybody that would look at him, was willing to do anything for you, um, had married a wonderful woman, had this awesome son, and and he got a hold of this preaching that his righteousness was nothing, Um, And he started reading through Hebrews and realizing that the works that I do isn't going to cut it. I need a great high priest, right? Um, Being a deacon in the church, having perfect attendance, raising a good family, um, knowing a lot about the Bible, having everybody in town liking you, that doesn't cut it before the eyes of God. And so my opa realized that his righteousness was going to be based solely on the righteousness of Christ in him. And I remember him saying all the time after church with people, you know, like, show me in the Bible where it says I have to sin anymore. You know, and if you're going to say something to me about Christ and Christianity, like, back it up with Scripture. I want to know that we're not lying to each other here, right? And he, he would say all these things, and I just, I didn't understand it at the time, but now I just wish, oh, man, I wish I could just, Sit down and play around to golf and talk with them, but thank God we'll have all eternity to talk. So I just got to be a little patient, right? Um, and so my opa's story would be one of faith, coming to it by faith. Now I think perhaps some might be able to say that the law and this whole works-based righteousness, um, practicing that long enough and then realizing that's not going to amount to a hill of beans in front of an Almighty God is maybe what would then point you to a salvation being based on faith. Um, So the law we'll talk about a little bit later is a great tool to point us in that direction. But my salvation story is a little more funny, I think. if Funny is a good word to use. Um, I remember my parents had gone on a cruise. They were celebrating an anniversary or something, and we had a couple of college students um, babysitting my brother and me. And I remember, you know, I'd grown up in church, and I kind of knew about Jesus and all that stuff. And I, I had seen this college kid every morning reading his Bible and praying. And I was like, oh, man, that looks, that looks pretty cool. He must be, like, a really cool guy. And I remember um, one day during the week, I had told him, I said, you know what happened? You know what happened? I became a Christian. And he was like, oh, that's so awesome. That's so cool. And I just flat out lied to him. I, I told him I was a Christian because I thought that would be cool for him because he was such a Christian, right? And so I remember I, I – I remember not sleeping a wink that night. I remember lying in bed, looking at the ceiling, going, I'm pretty sure if there's one thing you can go to hell for, it's lying about being a Christian. (laughs) And I I remember, like, oh, no, what have I done? Like, I'm not a Christian. I lied to a Christian. God knows I just lied about that. Holy smokes, I'm toast, right? I better not die tonight, so I'm going to make sure I don't die because I'm not going to go to sleep. I'm just going to stay here. And be awake all the time. I'm not going to go to sleep. Nothing's going to go wrong. I'm going to wait until mom and dad come home, and I'm going to talk to them, and then we'll get this figured out. But it was, I didn't know about the law of Moses. I didn't know what righteousness before God was. But I remember wrestling that whole night with this idea that I was not okay with God, right? Now, in my little childhood brain, it was because I had lied about it. But I knew that, like, I was definitely not a Christian, even though I just lied to my buddy that I was a Christian. I'm like, holy smoke, something was definitely not okay here. And so my parents came home, and I remember, I remember distinctly my dad sitting on the left-hand side of me and my mom sitting on the right-hand side of me. I was too small for my feet to reach down and touch the little shag carpet, and we prayed together. And I remember praying for my sins to be forgiven and for my heart to be born again and to be made new. And I remember just crying. And I wasn't sad, like this wasn't a sad thing, but I just remember crying for like no reason, just continuing to cry and cry and cry. And now the older that I've gotten, the more I realize that that was, that was the old me being put to death and the new me being raised up, and I'm crying for no reason. There's something is happening to me, and I, I don't know what it is. Now, fast forward until age 26, and now I start to see then what happened in my bedroom way back at that point. But that's, that's coming to God, and that's receiving the Spirit of God by faith, not by works. My opa couldn't earn it no matter how good he was. I knew for sure I was in deep doo-doo based on what I had done, right? I have to be born again by faith. But there's this whole thing of the law in the Old Testament, and what is that there for? I mean, it takes up the majority of the Bible. Why do they still print it, right? Um, if we can't receive the Spirit of God by the law, why is it still there? And so here's what he says, to Timothy about what the law is not for. So he says, you can, you can know that this is not what the law is for. And this is, this is crazy. This is so cool. Here's what Paul says here. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So he says the goal of his teaching is that it would result in love, that you would have a pure heart. We've talked about that many times. That you would have a good conscience, which means you're not sitting here dwelling on sin anymore because you realize that, hey, I have a pure heart and it's been taken care of, and that your faith would be sincere. I would say that if the faith isn't sincere, I don't know that any of the first three things could actually happen. Um, But here's what he says. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion. And I kind of think this is what had happened um, in a lot of the churches that I had gone to, is this fruitless discussion. And let's talk about what that is. I don't know that I'd want to be labeled as someone who has discussed fruitlessly, but let's see. He says that these people who are offering up fruitless discussion are wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. That's kind of scary to me right? People preaching the law, but they don't even know what they're talking about, but they're still making these like really bold assertions, um, placing all of this like weight on their congregation that this is the way it is. And Paul saying that's fruitless. They don't know what they're talking about. That's a little bit scary, right? That's not what the law is for. But here's what Paul says. He follows it up. But we know, and again, how do we know? We know because of the spirit of God that's within us. We have the mind of Christ. We know that the law is good, It's not that the law is bad. The law is good. It's perfect. It came to do what it set out to do. But if one uses it lawfully, that's what makes it a good thing. Realizing the fact, so know this fact, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Okay? The law is not made for a righteous person. Now, scoot up a few verses. You don't have to go back. But what does he say? He says that the goal of his teaching is that you would have a pure heart and a good conscience. I think the only way those happen are if you've been made righteous, right? Your heart is clean. The old dead man has been put to death. The new man has been raised to life, wholly compatible with the Lord. And you're no longer sin conscious because you know it's been taken away. We know the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person. Now, I, didn't, I found the scripture after I had kind of emailed the guys um, to put together the presentation. But think about it. If you're a Christian, then this applies to you. Listen, the law is not made for a righteous person. Now, this is 2 Corinthians 5 at the end of the chapter. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. We have been reconciled to God. He counts our trespasses against us no more. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If we have become the righteousness of God... Are we a righteous person? Well, I hope so, or else we can just all go home, <laughs> right? Then the law is not for us. So then that begs the question, what is the law for? I mean, it, I'm, I'm a fan of saying don't use this rule here in a math class. Like, right, you're only allowed to use Pythagorean theorem on a right triangle. So if this is not a right triangle, please don't use it. Please don't use it. Well, then te- te- tell me when I can. Like, teach me when I can use it. What is it for? What does A squared plus B squared mean in the context of when it's allowed? Let's read a little bit more. This is what he says in Galatians 3 again, going back. So I'm doing a lot of hopping around. It's kind of like my least favorite style of teaching. I don't know, but I'm doing it. So <laughs> I'm a fan of picking a passage and picking it apart, which is what we do every Sunday. But I think my problem was I would read so much of Paul and there was so much good stuff I had to pick it all. So forgive me. Um, is the law contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. So here's Paul again saying, the law is not a bad thing, right? It's not contrary to anything that God had in store. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. Now, I've emboldened the word impart. So to be able to impart life. Impart means to bestow or to confer or to provide or to supply or to give. So if a law had been given that was able to give you life where you didn't have it before, then it would have been fine. It would have been okay. He said righteousness would have been able to have been based on that law. But, he says in the next verse, that means that that must not have been the case, right? But the scripture, the law, big S, scripture, has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. But before faith came. So think about a before and after here. Before faith came. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that, like, when did faith come? What does that mean? Because I'm pretty sure that the Old Testament, there was some faith. Abraham had faith. Hebrews 11 is talking about all the people from the Old Testament having faith. I mean, what's going on here? I think before faith came means before an object that you could put your faith in that would completely and radically change your life, came. This is what happened. We were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. So in other words, Paul is saying we were trapped under this law-based mentality of following the rules and making sure that we didn't mess up too many times and making sure that we had asked forgiven enough, that we were so trapped into that mindset that our eyes were not opened up to the fact that there was this faith, this Christ, this high priest that was going to come later to be revealed to us. And so therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. And justified means made righteous in the sight of God. So we're going to be made righteous, not by law. Law is going to show us and lead us to this Christ who's going to become our righteousness for us. And but now, so before faith came, the law was there to show us that we couldn't do it, that faith was going to have to come in to make us right with God. But now that faith has come, now that Jesus is here, now that this great high priest who is this object of our faith that's actually willing and able and completely powerful enough to achieve this righteousness for us, but now that that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now put yourself here 2,000 years after Jesus. Does the before faith had come really even apply practically to your day-to-day life? I mean, we're like 2,000 years, but now that Jesus has come, right? I think it's important to understand why the law came, why the law existed, why the law was given to the Jews to show them that a Christ would have to come and deliver them up and raise them um, as new creations, wholly acceptable to God. But for us, who are 2,000 years post-Christ, we get to live in this, but now that faith has come, we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's awesome. So item number one, did you receive the Spirit of God by law or by faith? Well, we're 2,000 years after the, but now that faith has come. So I'd say that's what we need to know. We're going to speed up here a little bit. Um, so here comes Paul. That's item number one. How did you receive the Spirit of God? How do you answer that? That's the one thing I want to know from you. Did you receive new birth in your spirit? Do you now have the mind of Christ inside of you because you worked really awesome at the law or you heard someone talking about truth and you started believing through faith? And now here's what he says. Now that you've become a Christian, all right, here's what I want you to know about being a Christian. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. So he said, I didn't come here being all fancy. Um, My my poor wife, she's an English teacher, and she gets to grade a lot of papers um, where a lot of kids are trying to sound a lot smarter than they really are. Um, So, they go to the little synonym button and they find the biggest word and plug it in. And I'll be sitting on the couch grading my math papers, and she'll just hand a paper over to me and be like, How stupid does this sound? Right? And I read it, and I get like halfway through a sentence that's like this long with so many big words. I'm like, I don't even know what the subject of this thing is, right? Paul's saying, I didn't come to you talking like that. I came talking simply, like the kind of books that we read to my son, right? He's three, he gets it. Sweet. The little Marvel superhero comics. Easy words. He said, I came to you, not with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he's already called these people brethren. So they're they're Christians. They're his brothers in Christ. Here's what he wanted to know among them. Nothing other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. So man alive, as Christians, it's good to know a lot of things, but if we haven't wrestled in our hearts to the point of knowing Christ and him crucified in us, I think we're missing the boat a little bit, right? Do we know, because of the mind of Christ in us, do we know this Jesus and him crucified? He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And so I, what I hear Paul saying is, I want you to know Christ and him crucified. And I don't want you to know it because someone came in with a really, really good commercial and convinced you to go with the product of Christ. He came in saying, I want your faith, this faith that knows for sure this Christ and him crucified, I want that faith to be based solely on the fact that you encountered the power of God, right? Not the wisdom of men, not really not good marketing pitch or anything like that, but you've had an encounter with the power of God. And I, I just kind of flash back to my, my conversion I'm just crying for no reason. And now, you know, older, I turned 31 this coming week. And now I finally get to backpedal to being a kid and realizing, man, that was the power of Christ just overwhelming me, right? That's what Paul wants us to know. Nothing in us except Christ and him crucified and the fact that there's power in that. So that would be question number two, I guess, on Paul's Christianity 101. What do you know, sir Christian? I know Christ and I know him crucified. A plus, right? Right? Question number three. So what on earth do we actually do when it comes to living as a Christian? Um, And there are a lot of people in the world that have written books about how to live as a Christian. Uh, Someone made a lot of money on little bracelets that had four little letters that told you how to live as a Christian, right? But I think if we truly read Paul in all of his context and we, we open our hearts to this spirit of God within us, having the mind of Christ, What does Christ want us to know about how to live as a Christian? Here's what I think jumped out at me as we uh, are going to read together what I read this past week. Paul seems to state over and over and over again that life isn't about right and wrong, but that life, this Christian life, has everything to do with life and death. And it's a matter of position. So I, I... my childhood was a lot of, you get to a fork in the road and then you look down at your bracelet, what would Jesus do and you pick, right? But I think what Paul is saying over and over and over again that when you get to the fork in the road, it's not what would Jesus do, it's what has Jesus done? He's living in me, let's let him lead, right? So as we read through this, this is what I think Paul's most clear discussion on how to handle sin actually is. We're gonna read it out of Romans. And here's what I want us to see. I want you to focus on how many times Paul mentions life and death. Not good and bad, not sin and good works, but life and death. I want you to focus on how many times Paul uses words that describe location like under or in, okay? So are you alive, are you dead, and then where are you? If we're focusing on these things, that's how we tackle this sin. That's how we tackle this world. That's how we tackle all the garbage around us because I'm telling you, man, when I'm sitting on the kitchen table, I don't sit on the kitchen table. When I'm sitting, I don't know, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on in our house, but when I'm sitting at the kitchen table, see those describing where you are? These are important words. When I'm, when I'm sitting at the kitchen table, when it's quiet, it's just me and my dog, nobody else is awake, and I'm reading the Bible, boy, it's easy to see Jesus, right? But man 11, you wait about an hour, you drop your son off at school, you go to a public high school, And it gets really hard to see Jesus, right? Um, I don't know what we all do for a living, but we all know that as Christians, we don't just get to sit on top of or at our table all day with the Bible, right? We have to go out into the world. And how do we handle that? How do we live in that environment? Let's focus on what Paul says. Now, we're gonna read a lot of Romans 6. And before we get into it, um, I don't know that I've organized this the best way. I'm just coming with a ton of different scripture um, maybe I should have whittled it down and just told Walt, you know, give me two months and then we'll get through all this and then you can preach again. But, um, that's not a clue. I don't want to do this for two months, but, um, there was a sign at my brother-in-law's church. We went and visited him over spring break and I took a picture of it cause I was like, this is the most amazing thing. It's this big sign hanging up on the ceiling as you walk away from the kids' area. So you go and pick up your kid. Your kid is in your arms. You're checking them out from the Sunday school. And there's this big sign as you're walking out that says, what happens at home is more important than what happens here. And I was like, oh, that's good. Okay, so I'm a teacher. I like to give homework. Your homework is to go home and read through Romans 6. Now, we're going to read a lot of it right now. But man, go home and read through this and wrestle with it and have the spirit of God who's in you, the mind of Christ. Man, I pray that this would be made known to us deep down. This is what's going to get us through life. So here's what Paul says to the Romans. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. So right off the get-go, location. Are we supposed to be in this pile of mess called sin so that Jesus can just be even more awesome for us and forgive us and forgive us and forgive us and and show his grace to us over and over and over and over again? Paul says, no, don't sin, (laughs) right? Don't do it. May it never be. I hear that, don't ever sin, right? Now, you can take that as a challenge, like, all right, challenge accepted. I'm going to go out my hardest and try not to sin. But listen to how he says not to sin, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? <clears throat> so again, one of my, um, one of these sermons that my Omi has given to me, and I think I might have quoted it before, but he's like, I love peaches. I love peaches so much. I love peach pie. I love peach cobbler. I love just eating peaches. I guess peaches come off trees, right? Peaches off of trees. I didn't want to sound like an idiot there, but pick a peach, eat the peach. He goes, but when I'm dead you can put as many peaches as you want in my coffin and it won't make a difference because now I'm dead to them. So how are we who are dead to something still live in it? And this is what Paul says. Or do you not know? So this is number three. This is number three on his thing. Do you not know this? This is really important. How can we not know, right? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. And so the word baptized here, we've got a lot of different versions of baptism um, here as, as human beings and in different denominations. But the word, like the Greek word for baptism can kind of be looked at in two different ways. Both I think are kind of cool. Is this idea of immersion, okay? You have been immersed into Christ Jesus. And another, another form of a definition that i found was that you have been overwhelmed into Christ Jesus. So imagine, you know, how we how we do it here when we blow up the pool and we we dunk the person entirely under the water, you've been placed, you've been immersed, you've been overwhelmed by the water. And so i just picture man just like like those really good memory foam mattresses, right? We just kind of keep sinking into it. I just kind of picture that like we have been immersed and we have just sunk completely into Christ Jesus. Okay, into his death. So he died. So you've been immersed in that. You are also dead. Therefore, verse 4, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might too walk in newness of life. So that old man that was wrapped up in sin. He was in the big pile of sin over here, right? He has been immersed into Christ's death, and just like Christ was raised anew. Everybody's seen the end of the Passion of the Christ? I love that when he stands up and the stone rolls away and the light comes in and he walks out. It's just like, whoa, Jesus, right? I just picture like, okay, this was you playing in the pig's trough of sin, Christ took you, slayed you, and rose you up again into newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, (coughs) so I think what Paul is saying is, if you're willing to agree and be like, yeah, sweet, I've died with him, then certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And this is, I think, the hardest thing as a Christian to realize is that we still feel like this is our life and this is me getting in the way of all this goodness and this is, I'm still got this like steering wheel over my life and I don't want to let go of it, right? But if we believe that we've been put to death and been raised again in the likeness of his recollection, know this, that our old self was crucified. So the guy that was holding on to the steering wheel of your life, he's dead, he's been crucified. The old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. I don't feel like that happens all the time in my life. I feel like I'm really quick to anger a lot. I feel like I can just fly off the handle sometimes when a kid just does something for the 2,000th and 17th time this day, right? Oh, I get so angry or some of the things that I say to my family after a long day when they don't deserve that, Um, or some of the selfish things that I'll do. I'll not go out of my way for somebody else. I want to have this half an hour to me. Um, I don't feel like my old self has been slain, but it has, right? It has. So how do we live? In the knowledge that the mind of Christ gives us that that old bad Craig is dead. And done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. If you're dead to it, you're free from it. So here it continues in verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So again, here's your life now. If you're a Christian, if you said, yep, I got my Christianity because of faith in Jesus. I know Christ and I know him crucified. Now how do I live? We live with him. How come? Because we're immersed in him, right? Um, Easter egg candy, right? Where's the candy? In the egg. So where does the egg go? Well, anywhere it wants, but where does the candy go? With it. You're immersed in Christ Jesus, Okay. You're living with him, knowing that, verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. So this this is where we can wrestle with it because we don't feel like it worked sometimes, right? We don't feel like, ah, my Christianity is fixing my life. We don't feel like my faith in Jesus is making me a better person. Then maybe we don't know it like Christ wants us to know it because according to Paul, his death on the cross, all that sin that he crucified on the cross along with him, the whole sin of the world, he did it once and he did it for all. I'm reading that like, it worked. This was it. So get with it, right? Know it, believe it. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. My son, um... (laughs) My son likes to play Disney Infinity on the Xbox One. And I, I just thought about this. I wasn't planning about, planning about talking about this. But when he gets across a bad guy that he's fighting and the character that he's got on the little station doesn't have enough skill to beat the bad guy, right, and he dies, my son will just run off the couch and go put a new character on there, right? So if it's Spider-Man, he can swing fast and he can spin him and web him up. He likes that. Because if he was playing with, with somebody else that doesn't have all those cool powers and he dies a lot, that gets frustrating. So he takes him off and replaces it with a new thing, right? You are dead to sin, and now you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now here's where I think a lot of people can start reading and take verse 12 as this like challenge, like, all right, let's armor up, let's go to war with sin, we're going to try really hard to have this happen. If you've skipped 1 through 11, and you don't realize that, sin is this matter of life and death and position, are you in it or are you in Christ, then we can take this as this challenge that we have to wrestle with um, in the flesh. But let's think about verse 12 in light of all that we've said already. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So, in other words, I hear Paul saying, Listen, you got to know this. Do you not know? Listen, this is the big deal. You have been raised alive from the dead. Why were you sinning so much? you were dead now what are you you're alive and what showed you that you needed this christ you needed this faith you needed this new life because you were under law and that manifested all that sin and you trying not to sin just made it worse because you were focused on it so much but now you're under grace grace which has given you this life given you this spirit of god given you the mind of christ live like that live here live in this position what then shall we say Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. And I just, I I constantly remember what my my Opa had said many, many times um, just talking about Christianity and talking about how to live. He just said over and over, show me where in the Bible it says I have to sin. Show me where me as a Christian with Christ living in me, I have to sin. I don't. May it never be, Paul says, may it never be that I would go on sinning. And so here's what I think are the three big things that Paul wants us to know as Christians. Our Christianity 101. One, how did you become one? By faith or by law? Number two, do you know Christ and him crucified? And number three, you live your Christian life because it's Christ living it. You are immersed in Him. You are dead to sin. And now, putting all of this together, we now see the mystery which Paul preached. So, all over Paul's letters, he preached the mystery, this mystery that was given to him. This is my gospel, the mystery, right? And however, if we try to piece all this stuff together, it's actually not that complex or difficult. It's really simple and it's really powerful. And here's the mystery that Paul preached according to his own words. So I'm reading from the tail end of Colossians into, I mean, the tail end of Colossians 1 into the beginning of 2. There are these five things that Paul says this mystery is, okay? And this is, this is for us. This is the takeaway. This is like putting all of this together. Here's Christianity all natural. This is the bare bones of this mystery that Paul was given. So number one, it was hidden from the past ages and generations. That means that before Christ came, people didn't know what the true plan of God was. People didn't realize how good it was going to be. It was hidden. People didn't know. Number two, here's where it gets good. It has now been manifested to his saints. So if you're a born-again believer, you now know deep down in your spirit This mystery of God's plan from the beginning of time about how he was going to buy you back to him. His saints now know the will and the mystery of God. So good. Number three, it was God's will to make known the riches of his glory to the Gentiles. Now this is definitely, this fits into number one, hidden from the past ages and generations. The Jews had no idea that was coming, right? The Jews were the chosen people. We are the very, 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 very special ones This is our holy city. All these promises are for us. But it was God's plan, his mystery, that was hidden, that's now been made manifest, or basically now been made visible to his his people, his born-again saints, that the riches of his glory was going to be made known to the Gentiles, the people that weren't under his Jewish covenant. Number four, this is maybe the best one, The riches of that glory that God wanted to be made known to the Gentiles, and I don't know about you, but I'm not 100% Jewish in descent, right? Um, And again, if this was all still hidden, and if this was only for the Jews, then we're wasting a lot of time and money coming here on Sundays, right? The riches of God's glory is Christ in you. We are rich, with God's glory because of Christ in us. And number five, there is a wealth, and I don't think this is monetary wealth like a lot of books would tell you, but there is this wealth and contentment and peace and security that comes from a full assurance and understanding of Christ himself in whom are all hidden. Whoops, I totally butchered that. In whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. So the mystery for us today, Christianity 101, is that we now reap the benefit of this mystery that was hidden from ages past, that's now been made known to us, us Gentiles who had no part of any promise that God had before given to his people, now been given to us. That promise, the riches that we have are based on Christ in us. And if we have a full assurance of that and a true deep understanding of Christ himself, we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that Christ has in God. That to me is too cool. And I I realize now, after having read all of that, that holy smokes, there was a lot of passages in there. Um, So I apologize if I slaughtered you with scripture passages. But I just kept thinking, if Paul is claiming that his message, his mystery, which is powerful enough and worth fighting for the way he did. If he says that it's going to be accomplished through simplicity and not through clever marketing, but just through the power of Christ through his message, I figured I'd read a lot of his message and hope, um, hope that it spoke to you like it did to me. Again, I guess the, the big takeaway would be we need to know it. We need to know it with that mind of Christ that he's given us. And what happens at home is more important than what happens here. And so as I was reading through all this stuff, I guess I need to be better at filtering, but it just all jumped out to me as so good. And I'm sure that if you read all of Paul and read it in the context of all the stuff that we've learned over the past several years here, how do you leave any of it out? (laughs) Um, So thanks for having patience with me. I, I I got into this saying, man, I just kind of, I want to step aside and just have Paul preach this morning, right? Um, so as we usually do, we'll wrap up with some comments, um, some questions. If you feel like there's something in the Christianity 101 that's really good to need to know that I missed, I'd love to know it because I want to pass the test, right? Um, and so we'll open the floor to anything that we might have questions about. I came armed with the Bible, so I can look something up if I have to ask, answer a question, um, or just anything that God's been doing in your life. We'll end with that, but I think. Oh, yeah, Walt, I, I got it ready,
2: ready, ready to pass around. Um, I, I don't. If I could go first, uh, while others are thinking, I, I'm still stuck in First Timothy one. I mean, this is blowing me away. I, I have, God, how many times have I read First Timothy and? Just the way that you shared it this morning, it uh, I, I'm, I'm just blown away. He, he said, He's writing Timothy, and he says, I want you to stay in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So he said, you need to stay there because people are teaching some crazy stuff. And, and then it picks up where, where you picked up. And he says, nor pay attention to myths, endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. In other words, people are so focused on whose daddy was whose daddy was whose daddy, the flesh, that they're not seeing the bigger picture of the holodemic race has been ended, and this is a whole new creation in Christ. And then he says, but the goal, which is what you started off at, of our instruction is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from sincere faith. See, all the strange doctrines are maybe love, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, but it's coming from law-based regulations. The goal of our instructions is to see this crazy new creation that has happened in your new genealogy in Christ, and that this love exude out from you because of a pure heart. You know, the source of it is what he's worked in. You kind of like that song we sang earlier this morning. And then he starts talking about the strange doctrines, and he lists some men. There's even some men, can you believe it, straying from these things and have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law. And so Paul is saying that strange doctrine is people who are teaching that love comes from law. I mean, but that is like 99.9% of my Christian formation. You, you love because it says thou shalt love. Love the Lord your God. Love God. Love people. It's the you better love. But that is strange doctrine to Paul. Love comes from a pure heart with a good conscience and sincere faith because of what he has placed in you, not because of the letter for the letter kills. Man, I appreciate you sharing that because I don't know. But that just that just blew me away this morning. So thank you for sharing that. That's just I'm going to be chewing on First Timothy one for some some time now. Um, So thank you. That's something I I just felt compelled to to share. Any other thoughts or comments or questions or subtractions, additions? Bob, yeah.
3: I should probably stick to um, the less said the better from me. (laughs) because often I like to talk or say things and probably a tenth of it's worth listening to. (laughs) But I'm just struck by... I was looking through and listening to the scripture you read too, Craig. But back then at at the time while Jesus was with the disciples, there was numerous instances where they had no clue. I think the imp- what we forget and what they forgot, the importance of knowing who Jesus is. Um, it's, it's so easy to think of him as sort of he's God but he, he walked the earth and but yeah, he saved me, he died on a cross and sort of facts but um i remember reminded of um there was a i think i'm not sure if it was in mark but the disciples were all together and a woman came and poured this very very expensive perfume on Jesus's head and they're like whoa whoa wait a minute let's stop that's way too expensive we we should be using that that's we can sell that and give it to the poor uh, give the money the proceeds to the poor and, you know, because of what she recognized who Jesus was, that nothing was too costly to pour on his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, Jesus said because of what she did, um, for, for many generations as the gospel would be preached, she would be remembered for what she did. that's pretty powerful. And, um, also, um, when they, when they were in with Jesus, I think in the boat or somewhere and yeah, they were very, very afraid. And he said, hush, he calmed the sea and the storm and they had been with him. Like they'd been, I don't know how long, but you probably know better than me, but, and they walked away saying, who then is this that calms the sea and the wind? So, like, who else would it be but God? Nobody, only God could stop the wind and calm the sea. But they'd been walking with him. And so they even, you know, that's, that's pretty amazing. Like, probably would have been the same for us if we'd have been walking with him. We would have been just dumb, you know. <laughs> and so I'm encouraged sometimes when I read things like that. That even these fathers of you know our church of the church of you know um, Peter and Paul and they were just like us, but after the resurrection they were also just like us because they had the Spirit of God in them, and we have that today. But I think we we can lose sight of who Jesus really is. That I mean. Like we sang, he's the king of glory. He's the creator. He's, there's nothing too expensive to pour on his head. You know? <laughs> I was
4: uh, reminded of when you said in the beginning, uh, Craig, about the idea that what, what reference do we have to respond to this invitation from God except the very spirit that is within man. And uh, and I had to, you said, it, uh, mentioning something that was left out, I really don't think you left anything out. I, I had to think of the idea that in the temple was the holy of holies, and then I'm thinking of the holy of holies within the temple as that spirit that is within man that was hidden, that mm-hmm. we couldn't see. We saw flesh and our sinful nature. And then the mystery made known is to understand that actually God placed something within us that can respond to the invitation, so life and life. And now we see and we honor that which he was, it was hidden. and um, So to me that was just another picture in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm of that reality in in the new that was physical and literal now we're the temple and we kind of get on board with what he did we didn't know it, it was hidden and it's very beautiful and I look at people very differently now and knowing and we invite them to see that preciousness that God has given them that can actually connect and respond with him
5: Thanks. Um, Craig, at one point you mentioned you prefer just to preach from like one one passage and not jump mm-hmm. all around. And um, I hear you. But I think there's a lot of value. I think it's really cool to see the consistency of the message throughout the, the scriptures. And not just the New Covenant, but also, in the, I mean, the Old Testament. I just finished reading through Psalms. You know, there are dozens of places in the Psalms that point to this exact same message. I mean, not in the same clarity that Paul does, but, you know, I think about maybe that strikes me just because of the inconsistencies in my life. You know, I look at, if you take the last 10 years of my life, you know, probably eight years ago was the first time I'd ever preached a sermon, and I bet if you listen to that one compared to the ones that I've given in the last two years— there'd be a lot of differences in what I was saying. Um, And that's not the case in Paul's letters, right? You stuck to Paul's letters, and those happened at a specific point in time. And I don't think he knew that these were necessarily going to be put together in a book to last thousands of years. You know, I think that he was writing to a very specific group of people in a very specific instance at a point in time in his ministry. And yet... I mean, I won't put you on the spot, Walt, but, you know, that had to happen over the course of 10, 15, 20 years. And the message is the same throughout. And I think that is tremendous. And it just points to the power of what he did see. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the scriptures you used was, I think, from Galatians when he talks about the message he received wasn't from man. If it had been, it would have changed throughout his letters, but it wasn't. It was from God, and he saw it, and he stuck to it to that same message the whole time. So, thank you for going all around the New Testament, all through Paul's letters, He's and like, touching on it. Yeah. He's
1: doing. We're doing Christ- Christianity like one on one. I was like, all right, well, let me just read all the Paul, and I was like, oh, there's too many good things. <laughs>
2: right. to, to David's point, the first letter that Paul wrote was Galatians, which was all about. Um, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You start off by the Spirit, now you're thinking that the law is going to perfect you. One of the last letters he wrote was 1 Timothy, which I was just blown away by, which these strange doctrines, they're preaching that righteousness comes by law. You know, it's just the same consistency over whatever it was, 30-some years of ministry, or of life.
5: <clears throat> I think that also just points to um, how bullheaded we can be as christians that throughout paul's entire ministry like he's preaching the same thing like we just don't get it it takes him saying over and over and over again like you stupid people why can't you get this (laughs) yeah
2: john
6: Just a quick thought. I was thinking when Craig said it was uh, mentioned about it, how he was converted or whatever he'd come to Christ. And I was thinking back to, I don't know, when years ago. I don't, it's not, I don't know, 10 years, 12, 15. I don't know, a long time ago anyway. It feels like. Anyhow, that being said, I was when you were talking about that, I was thinking back to that time and being raised in whatever you might want to call it legalism, law performance-based kind of situation. And as you were talking, it just clicked in my mind. I said, you know, the people that Paul was talking to was those kind of people. And we as humans, and I thought back to my situation, you know, there was this little ritual you had to go through, and, you know, the elders had to pray with you, and you had to do all these, you know, I mean, you had to verbally... For people could hear you because you had to have witnesses, you know, like that really made any difference to who you were in Christ. But nevertheless, that's the way it was. And I was thinking back to that, and thinking now what I believe and what we're learning now, it's just kind of was dumb. Mm-hmm. Not that it was irrelevant, but you're missing the point. And, I, and like he said, I think uh, and what's kind of been the consensus is it's simplistic. And the human mind sometimes just makes it difficult, like the elaborate words he was talking about, you know, the fancy speech. That's what the human mind wants to do with it, make it mm-hmm. it has got to be something I've got to add to it to make it. When all it's got to be is believe. That's what Jesus Christ said. He told his man Mark or Matthew or somewhere, and he said, what should we do? It's bound to be something we've got to do to be right. And he said, all you got to do is believe. And 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 it's hard, and I mean, I think, for the human mind, is and to make it that simple. It's got to be something added to it, and it's not. <laughs> and by trying to add to it, makes it confusing. So if you really understand who you are in Christ, then it opens up the simpli- simplicity of the love and the, and the message of Christ. I mean, anyway, the, the, the summarized version is. It's not nearly as complicated as what Mm -hmm. has been made over a lot of years. It's it's really simple, and that's the thing that I'm really learning to enjoy is the fact that it's not complicated, and it's simple, and it was always meant to be simple. And if we can just wrap our mind around how simple it really is, your life will be much more peaceful and happy. You know, because it's not something you've got to add on or I've got to remember to do this and you you tied, you mentioned that, you know, you gotta do all these things. Well, you know, and Walt said it, you know, gotta do this and do this and remember to do that and do the other thing. And it's not about that. The love flows out like you said, your love the love of Christ flows out of your heart. It's not something you've got to remember to do. But anyway, that that's just my thought. You know, that humans and, and Christians over period of life has made it much more complicated than what it was ever meant to be when it's really just the simple truth is much easier to understand but anyway. mm-hmm. yeah.
2: you do a good job of complicating things got a couple more hands awesome
5: one more thing to add just to kind of add uh, to what John is saying is uh, um, mark 10 um, truly I say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not receive it and children don't complicate things. It's like <laughs> we as adults try to make it more complicated than it needs to be, but I think that's.
2: Yeah. I, lo- I love the phrase from uh, James Barron the, the profound simplicity of Christ. Because it is simple, but man, it's so profound. Um, it, it's not, uh, it, it, the, the depth to it, the mind of God is eternal. But the simplicity of it is so gentle for the child to receive. Yeah, Jeff.
7: Yeah, Just listening to all of you guys, I was just thinking that um, just for me, part of the reason why it's so hard is because of what the scripture says, right? We have this treasure in earthen vessels, right? So <laughs> while I know in my head and my mind that it's perfect in there and in my my new man is is created in the image of God and it's it's great and it's perfect i look at my body and i see sin in it right and uh i think paul referenced that a lot and i think it's just i, I was just thinking I, I might be right or wrong about this but it um, seems as if god is doing his uh work of redemption in phases <laughs> right? You know, the first phase is, you know, make you perfect where it really matters, in the the inside and the inner man. But he left us here with these bodies. And we know that in the end, this body will not be redeemed, right? So the final phase will be that we'll have these new bodies that you will see both the inside and the outside will be one and perfect and new in the future. And I think the difficulty here is that we're in a kind of dichotomy. We have this, you know, perfectly redeemed in a man housed in a um, in an imperfect vessel. For whatever reason, he left it that way until final redemption. And I think that's why it's hard to to really believe it and have the faith because we're seeing what we're doing, and then we're supposed to believe. I do believe, but we but suppo- that, that we're perfect still. And that's why faith comes in, right? Because God knew that um, on earth you will see the imperfection, but in the spirit realm, you're perfect. Um, And just one other thought. Uh, I think uh, one of the big confusions that we have and why it's so hard to distinguish this is that we need to really, and I'm trying to understand, we need to really understand the distinction between law and good works, (laughs) right? Right? We, if we get those confused, we will use the law in order to generate good works. so you have the law and you have good works, right? One of the goals of the law is supposed to create good works, but it 's imperfect, and we have faith and good works. God is saying this part of it, law and good works, the path of taking uh, law to get to good works, is gone. right Now we have to focus on faith bringing in good works and that's kind of the hard part that we're still kind of stuck kind of merging law and good works because the law is good right so we think well, there's nothing wrong with using the law in my daily living to create good works but that has passed away and i think um that causes confusion so i think if we focus a lot more on the distinction between that that it will help to um to understand a lot more great point the problem the problem the
2: desire is the life of Christ in us to be manifested through us the good works that were that were um prepared in advance for us to walk in them really i guess the way i'd say is the the question comes down to how how does that happen how does how does Walt Davis walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance and and it's either which what you're talking about is is it by uh, reading a list of regulations and and trying our best to do them, which you've accurately said, you know, that's been cut off. That's not the way of it because actually that only incites more sinning, according to the apostle. Or is it our desire of our teaching, which I'm blown away still. I'm going to be blown away by this First Peter, uh, First Timothy passage. The desire is pure love, f- love from the pure heart. So it's kind of like, you know, the old orange tree illustration we talk about. The orange tree, the first couple seasons, isn't producing oranges after you plant it, but it's still an orange tree. The orange tree doesn't become an orange tree once oranges come off, right? It was an orange tree from the beginning. You might not have been able to see it. You might not be able to see the fruit yet, but it was still an orange tree. And that's where I try to get to in my mind is, look, sometimes the fruit of Christ doesn't produce out through me because my mind is not thinking right I, it's not being renewed in that moment but that does not change the fact that i am an quote orange tree i am the righteousness of god in christ jesus and as my mind is set on that over time i'm on the 80 year plan myself the fruit of that the byproduct of that is these good works he's prepared for in advance for me to do so walking in these good works is is the the goal the goal is love that's a good work the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness but it's the means by which we get there. Is it by effort of doing the list, or is it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, which actually could require more effort at times than just give me a list and I'll just go out and do it. Make every effort to rest, Hebrews 4 says. Awesome, man. Fantastic. Uh, I encourage you to come back next week. We're going to continue this uh, um, Christianity All Natural we're going to take a look at some Old Testament, um, Hebrews. I mean, uh, Jeremiah 31, where he starts outlining what the new covenant is going to be like. We're going to talk about what is the new covenant. What is a covenant? Um, how how can these things be? How can we still sin? And we all would agree that sin still gets manifested through these bodies. If you don't agree with that, then I don't know. Uh, come live in my house. Follow me for a couple of hours. Sin still manifests. So, how can these things be that we sin does still manifest, though we don't have to, but it still happens when we screw up, mess up? How can it be that though sin still lives in our members, still is manifested at times, how can we still be righteous, holy, pure, justified, uh, sanctified, etc., etc? How can that be? How can we still be pure when we sometimes mess up imp- with impurity? How is that possible? How can these things be? And we want to strip past all the add-ons and get back to the real deal of what this really is, Christianity 101. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for my brother Craig who just uh, shared his heart this morning as the scriptures and your spirit have inspired him to be blown away. And that's really the desire. The desire is not for any of us to, uh, like how Paul said, to, to, to use these flowery presentations and this flowery motivation, but this profound simplicity of Christ. In fact, it's probably even better when we strip down and just dwell on this amazing mystery it's now been made known. And so, Father, I just thank you for this morning. thank you for what you continue to show us. You continue to reveal to us that you have done a work to make that which was once far off, now close, intimate in us. We pray, pray, we pray for these next coming weeks as we dive further into Christianity all natural. How is this? What is this? Christianity, really, when we strip off all the religious add-ons, what really are we talking about? Who are we? I pray that we would see better, see clearer, understand more the truth, the reality. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.